We turn again this evening to the sixth chapter of the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 6. We're going to pick it up at verse 15. Uh, The last time uh, that we uh, were together, uh, preached on uh, the first part of this passage, the procession and the arrangement that God had given uh, to the people of Israel, which already spoke of the victory. And uh, that's the whole message behind this thing. And that's one of the things you and I need to remember in the spiritual battle in which we face as well. It's not a battle that does not have a sure outcome. We already know the outcome. It's already done. God's won. Christ is the victor. This is not up for a debate. This is not a question. And so we live in that confidence of the truth of God's word, even as it is given to us here in Joshua chapter 6. So we dealt with the procession and uh, what what is all going on there. Uh, Now we're going to deal with the actual taking of Jericho and the aftermath. Picking it up then at verse 15. On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of day, And marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priest had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in the house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you, keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted. The trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout. The wall fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her, as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel and they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's again ask for God's blessings as we bow in prayer. 
Dear Lord, we thank you for this word that you have given us in the Old Testament. We thank you for the parts that we understand and don't understand, and we pray that you'll be with Pastor Bob this evening as he helps us to learn it better, to understand it more, as we fight the spiritual warfares that we have these days as well. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. I want to look at three things then from this passage. First of all, the battle, as we have it laid out for us, and then the message that that, that that gives us down through Scripture. Secondly, the command that is given. And then thirdly, we end with the grace that we find in this passage as well. Amongst all of this destruction, yet it's God's grace that stands out for us as well. So the first thing to... to it doesn't go in the notes yet. You can write it in, but it's not one of the blanks okay, to, to put in the notes is... Um, I've always been curious, and, and I'm sure you have too, about the marching for seven days. Because that would mean what? It would mean on one of those seven days, it was a Sabbath. But you know what? I want you to go back and reread the whole passage again this week. Because it occurred to me, the passage never says, do this in a week. Maybe we make that assumption, right? We, we put the assumption in while they marched day after day after day. Which would necessitate then that one of the days they marched on was a Sabbath. That seems, given what we know about God's commands regarding the Sabbath to be troublesome in some ways, right? But as you read it, it's not go every day. On the first day of the week, you march. Second day of the week, third day of the week. It's just march six times around once. And then on the seventh day, the seventh time, okay, which would be the the better way of saying it, you march around seven times. So whether it falls within a week, perhaps, or whether it's extended out, maybe it was a period over seven weeks that they did this. We just don't know. The, the word does not really answer that question. Except we could say this, God would never command them to do something that would in some way be a violation of the principles he has already given them regarding the Sabbath day. It would seem, if, 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 we, if we think about this just a little bit, that this whole issue of, of getting the army together, of marching them around, and then we do this, go back to the camp, then the next morning we get up and do it again, okay, I, I'm, I'm not sure, okay? It, even in the passage I read, did you notice when it comes to this seventh day, how, how it is, okay? On the seventh day, they rose early, okay? Which means the seventh time they did this. So, but God would never ask them to violate it. So if they did march in a week, if it was... You know, successive days. If that's the way the, we are to understand this, 
that then also, we have to understand, falls within not a violation of the Sabbath day, but that which God sees as permissible on the Sabbath day. And you would say, well, how could all of that marching be permissible on a Sabbath? Because what are they actually doing? They're storming the gates of the enemy with the good news of Jesus Christ. Isn't that, in effect, what we do every Lord's Day? We storm the gates of the enemy with the glorious gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We come here as soldiers of the cross to engage in the warfare that God has called us to. And part of that warfare okay, is to storm the gates and the walls of the enemy. So that, that's just kind of one of those things you, as you go through it, every time we do this in Bible study, that question always comes back. So we're either left with, if it's in a week, it's not a violation of God's law because God is commanding it and it is a permissible thing to do on the Sabbath. Or we can understand this perhaps as a longer extracted period of time over which this story takes place and not just in a week in and of itself. But regardless of that, the end result is still the same. The end result is the truth that we are given here in the chapter 6 as to what they did on that seventh day. Marching around the city seven times. And when the trumpets are blown, the people shout. I want you to think about that with me for a few minutes. This battle is about a shout. The shout of Jericho. Chapter 6, verse 5. Mentions it. Chapter 6, 15. Chapter 6, verse 16. Chapter 6, verse 20. Right? The culmination. Verse 20. So the people shouted. And the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people, and here it's emphasized, shouted a great shout. What happens? The walls fall down. The walls fall down. That imposing structure, that which seemed to be an insurmountable obstacle, they shout. And the wall falls down flat. So flat that they're able to go up into the city. It, it almost makes it sound like they don't even have to climb over rock. It makes it sound that, that this wall coming down comes down in such a way that there is a crushing of rubble. And we've had a good picture of that in the past month, haven't we? We've seen it on our television screens over and over and over again. Okay? That which happened in Florida. Okay? It's amazing, isn't it, in, in some regards as we think about that circumstance how all of this concrete has become a powder. A lot of it is just dust. Or you think about back on 9-11, those twin towers. And the, really the small heap of rubble that was left there 
but we saw the plume of dust go throughout that city. It is so flat that the people can go up into it. They're not having to climb over and pile over rocks, as it were. They shout. They shout. The word that's used here is a word that reflects the idea of a battle cry. But it's a battle cry with a little note, a subnote. It's a battle cry of victory. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Okay. What's interesting is, you notice we never read any words. What did they shout? What words did they use? They shouted a great shout. They didn't cry a great cry. They didn't yell a great yell. They didn't scream a great scream. They shouted, indicating there were actually words involved. They actually said something there. Right? Oftentimes when we see you know, depictions of movies of, of that day and age, we get this, Aah! Eli liked it. But that isn't what's meant here. They said something. It was a shout of victory. It is a shout of triumph. There's, see, because when you go to Hebrews, it's the fact that these people do this by faith. Right? They're not going, oh Lord, knock down the wall. See, we've been over this passage two times now, and, and the emphasis keeps coming back to, it's done, it's done, it's done. The victory's already yours. Hey, let me display this. March the Ark of the Covenant around like you would in a triumphal procession. You stand there at that wall, and you shout the shout of victory. Not the shout that says, hey, we're coming and we're going to charge you. But the battle cry of victory. This is what they cry out. And it isn't, isn't it interesting that as we think about this, who is present there amongst them? The end of chapter 5. The Lord Jesus Christ as the commander of the host of the army of the Lord, is there with Joshua. And they are shouting the battle cry of victory. Not the battle cry of war, but of victory. They shouted a great shout. Now, they didn't whisper it. They didn't say it. They didn't speak it. They shouted it. I'm reminded that the one who is the commander of the host of the army of the Lord uttered his own battle cry of victory. Did you know that? Did you know Jesus had a battle cry of victory? Matthew and Mark reported in the Gospels as just before, just before he dies, he utters a loud cry. 
shout. John tells us what it is. It is finished. You know, oftentimes when we think about that term, we think about it in terms of the it being my suffering. It is finished. My suffering is finished. He's he's talking about himself and what he has just gone through and the experience of the darkness and the rejection of the Father. It, yes, that, my suffering is finished. Well, not really because he's still going to die. So it's not really finished because he doesn't die until after he shouts this shout. So what is the it? Has salvation been fully accomplished? When Jesus utters the cry, it is finished. Okay. And, and I'll, I'll confess to you, I've, I've preached it this way too. And I, I, I'm not, I, I think there's, it's there. I think it's correct to say it. But there's an aspect in which it, it, it isn't quite there, right? It is finished. Is my salvation finished before Jesus Christ dies? No. (laughs) My salvation is not accomplished until his death, yet he cries it before his death. What is then finished? I think we have the same situation with the commander of the host of heaven on the cross that day as we do with the people of Israel here at Jericho. It is finished. It's already done. What's done? Darkness. Darkness is done. The enemy is done. God's enemies are done. It is finished. Now, there's nothing in the text here of Joshua that would say, that's what the people shouted. But I know that's what Jesus Christ cried out. I know that's what the commander of the host of heaven cried. It is finished. Darkness, you're done. Sin, you're done. Satan, you're defeated. I have won. Though the true light has come into the world, the light that shines into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It is finished. See, too often today the church lives with not it is finished, but it might be done. See, and that's not faith. we've, We've got to be like these people of Israel standing before a wall, an obstacle, and basically say, you're already down. You're already finished. We have already overcome. See, it's not we shall overcome someday. It's we have overcome. We have overcome in and through our Lord and Savior. That's what the people of Israel are given credit for here. By faith, they say to that wall, By God, 
This wall is already down. Yes, we see it as an obstacle. It's standing there, but it really isn't. It's done. It's over. And as we go about the spiritual warfare of this day and age, it needs to be a spiritual warfare that keeps in mind the victory, that keeps in mind the fact that it is finished. That the darkness has lost. That Satan is defeated. That Christ is the victor. And even though what appears to be a great obstacle to us, like the wall of Jericho, it's already down. Because Christ said, it is finished. It's an amazing thing when you draw together 750 young people and their leaders and you hear 750 people say at one time, it is finished. To look at the world of today, to look at the culture of today, to look at the blackness and bleakness and darkness of this world, and rather than shudder in the face of it, to look it in the face and say, it is finished. Not because of us. Not because of what we do. But because of Jesus Christ. Oh, and they didn't just say it. You know, it's hard to get Dutch people to yell for anything but sports. Right? That they'll yell for. Yeah, they'll scream for Okay, they'll turn their faces bright red for a sports team. But get them excited about the message of the gospel, yeah, it's a little tough. But to hear 750 people, all I could think of is, what must it have been like for 600 warriors of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, those Israelite soldiers raising the shout, a shout of victory. It is finished. See, as you go about the battle, don't go about the battle as being, oh, I don't know how this is going to end up. That's the spiritual lesson here. It is a lesson of victory. And you know where this lesson ends? If you turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 16. Paul is speaking about the glorious return of Jesus Christ. And you know what happens? It's almost as if we're back at Jericho. There's going to be a trumpet sound, and then there is going to be a shout, a crying out. It doesn't tell us who cries out. It doesn't tell us who shouts. But it would not be too far a stretch to say, they hear the trumpet sound. What happens when the people of God hear the trumpet sound? What happens when the soldiers of Israel hear that trumpet blare? They shout. This is the shout of the church. It's finished. Christ is coming. We've heard the trumpet sounding. What does the songwriter say? And now his face I see. But there is also an end. An end to the blackness. You see, the shout 
of Jericho brings down those walls, those physical walls. The shout of Christ brings down a spiritual wall. He has broken down the wall of separation between what? Between us and God. And he has brought about peace between the Father and ourselves. But the shout of 1 Thessalonians at the return of Christ is this. It is done. This world of sin is over. It is finished. Not, well, now we have to engage in a battle, and that's going to last us a thousand years, and we'll see the outcome of that. Oh, there's going to be all sorts of problems. It is done. It's finished. The king, the commander of the host of heaven. Read Revelation. How is Jesus represented in the book of Revelation? When you get to those end chapters, he's the commander of the forces of the host of heaven. Where is he? In Joshua, the commander of the host of heaven. What do we, what do we talk about when we talk about the cross? He could have called 10,000 angels. He's the commander of the host of heaven. And the shout is the same. It is finished. What a message. What, what a statement God is making to his people. This is the way you go about spiritual battles. Knowing that the victory is already the victory of Jesus Christ. It's not your victory. It's not Little Farm's victory. It's Christ's victory. It's Christ's victory. It is finished. And whatever it was that those Israelite soldiers cried out, we see a flattened wall. But then there had been issued a command. The command of God was this. Eliminate. Eliminate. Get rid of. Finish off. Verse 17. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. What is it that that includes? Verse 21. And they devoted all in the city to destruction. Both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, donkeys, with the edge of the sword. The command of God is this. When you take Jericho, take it and destroy. Destroy them all. James Montgomery Boyce in his commentary on this particular section writes the following. If you are a Christian, you're a soldier in God's army and are engaged in a war where many enemy strongholds need to be conquered. We see them everywhere. There are fortresses of evil in our land, in the church, and we must confess in ourselves. They are surrounded by high walls. The gates are sealed. They are manned by strong and experienced defenders. What are we to do against such ancient outposts of God's 
and our enemy? The answer is that we are to assault them in the way God has told us to wage warfare. By prayer, by the word of God, and by our testimony. When we look at evil's forces, we may think the ancient weapons of the church are inadequate. We may think that prayer is not going to be effective against the enemy today. We may think that the word is not going to be effective against the enemy today. We may think that our own personal testimony of God's grace and God's love to us as a sinner is not going to be effective. We may think we have to come up with new techniques, he goes on to say. And we may be greatly attempted to abandon them and to use the world's tools. This is a mistake. We need to listen to God to obey faithfully to the very end. And when we do, then in God's own time, the walls of Satan's stronghold will tumble. He wrote that in 1989. Now, I lived through 1989. The walls of darkness seem to be bigger and stronger than ever. But it is not time, nor is it ever time, for the church of Jesus Christ to abandon the spiritual weapons that God gives to us. Prayer, the word, and our own personal testimony of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. We don't engage in Facebook bashings. That isn't what we're commanded to do. We're not to engage in armed protest and violations of law. It's not what we're called to do. Just stand at the wall and shout. Prayer. The truth of God's word. The glorious message of grace in our own hearts and in our own lives. But there was another part of that command, isn't there? To devote to destruction. But to use, verse 19, the silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So all the people... All the animals, kill them. And then they're going to burn everything but that which is the gold and silver, the bronze and iron. They go to the Lord. They're given to the Lord as a thank offering. This is the command. That comes into play in the very next chapter, won't it? And the people do so. Except, except for Rahab. Oh, the grace of God in this story. We got walls falling. We got people being eliminated. We got animals being killed. And we got a prostitute. Of all people, we've got a prostitute. Experiencing the grace of God.
But the two men, verse 22, who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house and spare her. The same two men who knew her face to face, the same two men who had been saved by her example of faith, you two men who know her. It's interesting the, what Joshua does here, right? He doesn't just pick two guys and go, uh, go into that room over there where, where that red cord is hanging. Go, go there and, and rescue. They would not necessarily know who Rahab is. These two men do. Oh, that personal, that personal witness, right? They, they, I think there's a message here for us as well about about how important it is to engage those who are on the enemy territory that we know personally. Right? There's a lot of enemies of the cross of Christ. We have no clue who they are. But it's almost like there, there's, there's a certain engagement here that says you know them. Go to them. Go to them. Or rescue. And then notice what happens in verse 25. It's not only she, right? But then it tells us in verse 25, she lives. But they don't just say, okay, we spared you, live in this rubble. You live amongst all this death and destruction. You stay there, you deserve it. You're, you're, no, you're, 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 you're after all, a Jerichoite, so you just stay there. No, the grace of God is even greater. Not only does he spare her life, he says, now come in. You come and live with us. You come join us. You come be a part of the people of Israel. And for those of you who know the story, the story gets even deeper than that, doesn't it? She marries a man by the name of Salmon. Some think he is one of the two spies. She marries an Israelite. But even more so, we turn to Matthew chapter 1 and what do we find? That this Rahab becomes an ancestor of Jesus Christ. One of only three women named in that ancestry. The Gentile. The Jerichoite. God spares. God grants grace. Spare her. And I'm not only just going to spare her, I'm going to use her. <laughs> I'm going to use her in a great and glorious way. What a message, isn't there? Right? See, sometimes when, when we look across that battle line of today, we don't look with the eyes of God. There are some in that battle line who are God's elect. We want to go after them all. God says, no, 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 not Rahab. We, we, we need to remember this. Right? There are names I could give and, and of situations. You know the lady involved in Planned Parenthood, right? Enemy side. You know the name Rosario on the other side. 
Yet God in his grace draws. And if truth be known, it's us too, isn't it? Paul writes about us that we were God's enemies. We resided in Jericho. But God in his grace reached down through the commander of the armies of the host of heaven. And said, not them. Not them. They're one of mine. And it even goes further, doesn't it? And her family. It's not just Rahab. It's her family. All those who are with her in the house. It's an amazing thing that's taking place here. See, we just got done looking at the judgment of God. Eliminate. But now look at the compassion of God. We're not even told if any of those other people had faith. The only one we're told about in Hebrews chapter, 10, chapter 11, 31 is Rahab. By faith, Rahab. It doesn't say by faith her mom and dad. It doesn't say by faith her brother and sister. Yet God in his compassion spares all who are with her from that destruction. Oh, that compassion of God. Those arms of God. That's why the church is given that command. Go ye into all the world. It's the command of the one who has all authority and all power. It's the command of the one who is the commander of the host of heaven. It's the command of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Church, go. Go and be light in this world. Go and show forth the light. Don't be scared of the darkness. The darkness cannot overcome you. How do we know it? It is finished. That's how we know it. Because of the cry of Christ on the cross. And yet we go into this world. As Paul says in, in Corinthians, we go as those who go about the ministry of reconciliation. To bring others. To bring others. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the victory. See, the true victory of this day is not only the defeat of darkness, but the grace of God to Rahab and her family. You and I are called to go out into this world as lights to bring that message of the gospel. I've been thinking about this a lot the last couple of months, preparing these messages and the message for, for RYS. And I was thinking of this. I, I was thinking... Let's suppose, let, let's just suppose the following circumstance, okay? Let's suppose we're out in front of the, the abortion clinic 
and one of those 40 days of life, and somebody comes by and just starts hurling insults, just starts ridiculing, waving fingers at us, saying horrible, despicable things. And we simply say, it is finished. Well, number one, can you imagine the puzzle? What are you talking about? What do you mean? It's finished. What is? What's finished? My sin. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, right? My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. My sin is finished. Is yours? It is finished. What's finished? Darkness. All the enemies that Christ has destroyed. It's finished. What do you mean it's finished? We're engaged in this great spiritual battle. We're winning. You Christians, you're losing. No, it's finished. What a message. Right? What a message. As we go out into this week to be the light of Jesus Christ, remember, remember your battle cry. Remember the shout of victory. You want to see the walls of Jericho fall again? It's finished. You can't just say it. It's not just some magical words. By faith, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell. To believe the glorious truth that God has already told us. Hey, folks, I won. And I believe the Lord. God's people say, it is finished. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its message to us today as we take this, this old story that we've learned as children uh, back in Sunday school and, and we look deeply into it to to see, Father, what, what beyond that message, this glorious truth of your word is conveying. This message of Christ, the message of victory, the message of faith, and the message of grace. Oh, how we thank you. That even though we too were your enemies, you've reconciled us to yourself through the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Help us to live in the victory of Christ. And God's people again say, Amen.